pay disparity between the men and women is, is just too large and, and we want to continue to fight. Uh, the generation of players before us fought and now it's our job to, to keep on fighting. The pay cap for the women's major league soccer players is 11 times less than the pay cap for men's major league soccer. 11 times. Rapino gets across it. Listening to Give and Go with Rotas Wadera only on Girls Soccer Network. Hello and welcome. I am your host, Rotas Wadera, and thank you so, so much for tuning in to episode 45 of Give and Go, brought to you by Girls Soccer Network. Again, thank you guys so, so much for tuning in for all the latest and greatest news, lifestyle, culture, everything you need about the world of women's soccer. Go get it at www.girlssoccernetwork.com. Of course, check us out on Instagram at Girls Soccer Network and on Twitter at Girls Soccer Net. Of course, if you like this podcast, be sure to ask Siri to either play this new show name, to play the newest episode, however you want to listen to this show, Siri has got you covered, okay? This is a very special episode. I know it's been a minute since we've gotten back on here, but... Um, It's time to recap the end of what was a crazy year in 2021. So here's what we have on deck for you just to get you guys ready. Of course, we've got the Olympics recap. We've got the NWSL and the year that they had, which was crazy on many levels. We also have a very special interview with Jenna Nyswanger of the Florida State women's soccer team. They just won the national championship, and Jenna was a huge part of that. So be sure to keep it locked for that interview later, as well as sound bites from the NWSL draft. We've got clips from four of the top six picks, including Naomi Gurma from Stanford, Savannah DeMello, USC, Jalen Howell, Florida State, and Diana Ordonez from Virginia. Hear from all of them later as well. On top of that, we also have a recap of the expansion draft and kind of just really kind of to just tie a bow on how this year finished. So that's what exactly what we are going to do. Let's get right into it. Okay. So I think the first big event of this year was the Olympics, right? There was a lot going in. Um, The U.S. Women's National Team were looking to do something historic uh, to win it in the same cycle, to win the World Cup and the Olympics in the same cycle was something that had never been done before. And they were in a prime position to be able to do it with the last kind of stages, the closing stages of this golden generation. I think in hindsight, when you look at it, it's very easy to say, oh, you know, Vladko should have brought on Trinity or should have brought on some of the younger players like a Sophia Smith to change things up a little bit. But you know what? Like that group of players, that generation of players deserved that opportunity to give it one last hurrah together, in my opinion. And I felt like that still was the best team leading up to the, to the Olympics. They still had the best team, the most talented team. Obviously, it did not work out that way because they did lose in the semifinals to Canada, of course, who would go on to achieve something that had never been done before, um, which is an Olympic gold medal. An incredible game that was. The Canadians finally breaking through and doing something that had, I mean, it's historic for them. 
they as it is in a so-called rivalry against the United States, they'd barely beaten them. They'd almost never beaten them. And then now you turn around and you beat them in one of the most important games of the Federation's history, only to go on and beat Sweden in what was an absurd game. That game was crazy. And, and you could argue, not, I apologize if you're a Canadian soccer fan here, but the, Sweden, I'm sure, will also be thinking about that gold medal match and how they could have just as easily have taken it from the Canadians. But the Canadians, again, credit to them showing a heart of gold, a heart of champions. They never gave up and they continued to push forward, continued to press and got the goals that they needed and then would win it in a penalty shootout. So when you think about what this means for Canada soccer, they're here. They have arrived. They're a budding you know, market, I think. And you heard Christine Sinclair talk about the possibility of having a professional league out here, you know, in Canada, excuse me, not here, in Canada, where Canadians would have their own league to play, uh, which would be incredible just for the expansion of the sport as a whole. You look at Canada and the direction that they're going in, it's huge. And so while we obviously would have loved for the U.S. Women's National Team to get that gold medal and bring it home, you know, for Canada to do it, for them to finally just lift the monkey off their back and finally get over the hump, that was a really, really cool story here in 2021 that we're definitely not going to forget. When you look at the professional ranks, you know, after the Olympics, there was a whole lot of lot of stuff that happened this year. A whole lot. Uh, plenty of, of negative, a uh, lot of controversy. But what we want to do is, is do the best we can to put a positive spin on everything that happens. Okay, because you're looking at almost every single team. I think almost every single team, except for the three teams, lost their coach either for another job due to or because of emotional or verbal abuse or sexual misconduct so there was a lot of different things going on with the nwsl but here is the good thing to take away from all of that we're eradicating the evil we're getting out the poison you cannot get better until this happens right until this stuff is removed from the league we cannot move forward and get better so that's the first thing right getting this out and then making sure the people that we bring in are trusted enough you know within the organization to be able to take over and and do a good job. The other thing is in terms of the mental health in the NWSL, and that's really an initiative that we're seeing really go up over this past year. Uh, Bethany Balser teamed up with us here at GSN to kind of go through um, what she goes through uh, as a professional striker for the OL Reign. So she's written numerous posts for us on the diary of a striker and the importance of mental health and being able to to, you know, really push through and and continue to fight no matter how hard those that mental struggle may be. Um, another player that, you know, also talked about this was Kristen Press. Uh, after getting brought in to Angel City FC, she kind of made let everyone know, and this is on GSN, by the way. You can check this out on GSN or her Instagram, where she basically posted that she needed to take some time off. And by all means, I think 
you know, it's well deserved for her because of the the season, the year that she had. She probably should have won the U.S. Soccer Player of the Year, um, but that's a whole another situation. That I mean, we've talked about awards on this show and what's fair and what isn't. I believe it was Lindsay Horan who won, um, but it probably in all, you know, it really should have been Kristen Press based on the year that she had. But anyway, for her to be taking some time away, you know, doing some soul searching, being out in nature, rediscovering kind of what your life and what you want your the purpose of your life to be that sounds like and and fits the mold of what Kristen Press's brand is and who she is as a person and so for her and Bethany Balser to really be pushing this on mental health for as long as they have um, is, is truly a great thing and so you're talking about the mental health side of things we're talking about protecting the players you know enough is enough I think one of the other things that really stood out about this whole year was when all of the controversy broke out you saw other leagues from around the world it wasn't just america like the all of the europeans the fawsl the the spanish league the primera iderbola you know they all were stopping before their matches and showing you know linking arms and a sign of solidarity it was incredible the fact that it reached that far and the fact that the players were willing to take that stand it shows that it's not just america it's the whole world and that's a beautiful thing that we're all gonna come together and and remove this toxic coaching culture from the league not just from this league but from world world football in general i think the other thing that's really exciting to note is the organizations that have been created to help out players in different ways. You have the Black Women's Players Collective that um, has like a strong contingency of of black athletes in the league. So like Ziara King, Jasmine Spencer, Midge Purse, right? A really solid core of stars in the league who are providing a voice for the black soccer players in the NWSL, which is huge, huge. We need this type of visibility. We need this type of you know exposure to the world so that everyone can see it and that others can say hey i can do this as well um the nwsl you know did really well through the players association to set up a fund to help players covering things from living expenses to their mental health issues so this again goes back to what we just talked about but the league is going in a positive direction it, it might not feel that way right because of everything that happened um, there's a lot of a lot of bad stuff that needs to be filtered out but where you can kind of start to see us trending up in terms of players starting to get the help that they need players starting to take a stand for themselves and that they are going to have more of a say and more power in these situations and once the players have more of the power um you know, it, it just makes everyone, I think, a little bit happier. And we take the power away from the owners. I think if I could, you know, make a cross sports reference, the NBA is probably the biggest example where the players were able to really take some of the power back from the owners and the collective bargaining agreement and really get a larger piece of the pie for themselves. And so if the NWSL can manage to do the same thing as this market continues to expand and grow, more power to them and I think we're slowly starting to see a shift where the players are more in control which is huge huge for the league so again despite everything that's happened um, we're starting to go in the right direction the other notable story coming out of the NWSL was Quinn um, coming out as the first transgender athlete in NWSL history and of course 
that uh, Quinn identifies as non-binary. Not only that, but Quinn did this, you know, leading up to or right around the Olympics. So you want to talk about history on top of history, like doing it at such a big event on top of having to tell your teammates all of the the emotions and everything Quinn must have been feeling must have been a lot. But to make that decision is just so courageous and strong. And to be able to do that, I think, speaks to how strong Quinn is and how Quinn truly is a trailblazer for the LGBTQ community currently in the NWSL because it's it's a big step and it'll hopefully lead to a slew of more people eventually being comfortable enough in their own skin to come out and for you know for everyone to accept them for who they were truly meant to be and that's all that we can really ask for so that was a huge huge piece of news thanks to Quinn which again is only going to help us move forward and progress not just as a soccer league as soccer fans but as a society as well Now, one of the interesting things uh, we want to get you caught up on is the coaching carousel um, within the league because it has been incredibly difficult to keep up with who is who, players and teams and coaches swapping, moving all over the place, who is where. We're going to give a quick recap on that team by team. Here we go. So, of course, we start with the Washington spirit. Um, Richie Burke is out. Chris Ward is in. And, I mean, you could argue Chris Ward probably should have won Coach of the Year, but because he wasn't a big enough name and because he wasn't coaching for that many games, he didn't deserve it. But he, Chris Ward deserves so much credit for the job that he did kind of shepherding this team in the same direction they were going on in spite of the firing. In spite of the firing, they were still able to go forward and kind of not miss a beat and pick up right where they left off. Now, Richie Burke deserved what he got, all right? He deserved what he got. The one thing I will say, though, is the team that he put together was incredible. And and as you can see, they went on to win the title. I'm sure that's part of his punishment is having to watch the team that he had built now win without him, essentially. So that's that's a, a solid amount. He probably deserves more uh, for what he did, but that's a that's a decent amount of punishment right there to have to watch your assistant and everyone else win it, full well knowing that you were the person who put that team together. So um, interesting to see if he'll ever get a job anywhere else. But um, he was the first person out, and sure enough, they went on to win the title with Chris Ward. Pretty crazy. North Carolina, Paul Riley, out. Who would have thought? Who could have? Oh, my goodness. Unless you're, like, close to the—unless you're close to the teams and and you've been around the— you know the staff. Only then can you have any kind of idea of something like this even in going on with what Paul Riley was doing with his players and and all that you know terrible things that he was doing. So Sean Nehas is in um, as the new guy, and even though they did not, you know, they weren't able to get back to the title game. I still feel like, you know, the, the way that the ideals of the team and how they were run, you could tell that um, Nehas wants to keep uh, a similar system with the players in place. And even though they've made some trades and um, they've lost some key pieces, they're losing J-Mac as well. They traded her to Racing Louisville. 
So, you know, it's going to be interesting to see how this new this final starting 11 is going to look going into next year. But um, I think the Courage are still in good hands in spite of what happened. Next, we move to the rain where Fareed Benstidi did his best, man. He really, really tried. I mean, it's a tough task being asked to mold all of those star players together and to get it to work in a system that works. But sure enough, Laura Harvey comes in and is able to do that with relative ease, basically propelling the team to, you know, a top two finish and then uh, in the regular season and then winning coach of the year. So, I mean, it was pretty <laughs> just goes to show you, man, like Fareed Benstidi learned the hard way out here at the WSL because Laura Harvey stepped in and, and did an incredible job uh, for a large majority of the year. And, and sure enough, she came away with coach of the year honors. The Orlando Pride um, are a pretty interesting situation because Mark Skinner, of course, left uh, for Manchester United. I believe we did talk about that in a previous episode. Um, Becky Burley came in from the University of Florida to kind of fill in. But I think based on the direction of the team and how things ended the rest of the year, she's not coming back. And so then they, what do they do? They go and grab one of the best college coaches, one of the best coaches in America in Amanda Cromwell, who is highly revered by everyone. So um, if you're Orlando, you're obviously very excited to get Amanda Cromwell, probably one of the bigger high profile coaches who you could have gotten out there on the market and you went and got her. So this is good for them. Um, they traded away Alex Morgan. So, you know, I think they're ready to to get moving towards a little bit of a rebuild. Even though they do have Marta and Sydney LaRue, I think they can start to think about getting even younger and, and truly rebuilding um, the pride from the ground up in, into a vision that Amanda Cromwell wants to wants to see. Gotham, right? Freya Coombe left mid-season for the Angel City job, which means Sean Parkinson came in, one of her assistants. Again, a, a relative unknown uh, but again, the team didn't miss a beat. And I think what we're starting to see is like the assistants are doing a lot of stuff behind the scenes that, you know, the head coach m- might get credit for. You know, there's there's so many aspects of this game that we kind of take for granted. Like the assistants do so much of the work, too. Like we really don't take into consideration the amount of work the assistant coaches do and how critical they are to the rest of the staff. We tend to just group everything about these teams on the star players or the head coach, but there are the manager. But there's so many other factors that you know you can throw in here uh, that you need to be aware of. So uh, Sean Parkinson in the team didn't miss a beat, um, which is great because I mean the core again that Elise LeHue put together. Right, she is another in another situation where she will not get to see, or she will get to see it, but she won't get to be a part of the team that she built. Um, and so, Yael um, Averbuke West is the uh, new GM, right? Which was a, a pretty big, high-profile um, signing for them, for her to be the GM to essentially run the team and, and put this team together. Uh, we've had Yael on the podcast before; she's been amazing super uh super intelligent just knows so much about the game um that's going to be a great fit for them but for elise lehue who did all the heavy lifting all the work the rework the the retooling of the team the building of it um it just makes you wonder like we're never gonna know i i wonder if the story will ever come out but who is the player who she had an affair with we will never know 
has anyone had any word about that? Um, I mean, I haven't heard anything. So it's been, and it's been a while. So that was just something that was kind of just swept under the rug and no one ever heard about it. So Gotham had a lot of moving parts, uh, but they also seem to have a good one-two punch in Sean Parkinson and uh, Yale Afropeak West. Chicago. This was another one. When coaches were falling left and right, it really seemed like Rory Dames was going to be the guy to survive it all because he's been around the longest, the longest tenured coach in the NWSL at the time. Um, Yeah, I mean, there's not much else to say other than you knew. You could tell from his demeanor out on the pitch the kind of guy that he was, just a super serious, no-nonsense and I mean that obviously came out in other ways when getting ready with his players Uh, so Rory Dames is now out and there is no current replacement at this time but the Red Stars are in an interesting spot now with no Rory Dames and again this whole core that he's put together they do probably maintain most of that but who is going to be the person to to really step up and, and take over this team we will have to see Portland Unreal. Uh, Mark Parsons says, I'm done. Uh, even though, again, got the team to the, you know, uh, the supporter shield in the NWSL. Always seems to do that, but then has a tougher time winning in the playoffs. Left for Holland. And so now Portland also is in a new position, really. I don't, I couldn't remember a time where Portland is taking this big of a risk with a team that's been this good. They have been competitive every single year. They're always going to be in the playoff picture. They're always going to have one of the best teams. They're the most proud franchise in the NWSL. So rather than going out and getting the big names, what do you do? You go get a, a brand new head coach in Rianne Wilson, Wilkinson, excuse me. And then you get a brand new GM in Karina LeBlanc. Now, Karina LeBlanc is someone who we've also had on the podcast before when she was with, when she was the commissioner of CONCACAF. And so working in that administrative role and being able to scout and look at all the different players within the CONCACAF region definitely is going to benefit her in a job like this when you're the GM of the Portland Thorns and you need to identify talent and build a team. So I think that was a great hire. I think Karina LeBlanc is you know, one of the people who fits into what Portland wants to do. And uh, she fits the community. She fits the energy. She fits the vibes. And I feel like that is a great um, partnership that's really going to work out. But how will Rianne Wilkinson do? Um, That remains to be seen. That's what's going to be the interesting thing here. How is this team going to get built going into next year with all of the talent that they have? Of course, racing Louisville, right? Christy Holly couldn't survive either after everything that had happened. It just makes you wonder why I was even hired in the first place. But their new hire still kind of fits in with the direction that they want to go in. They want to play a more European attacking style of football. They're not going to come in here and, you know, American soccer us to death with like a nil-nil or a 1-1 where the two two teams just beat the crap out of each other. It's not what they're going for here. And so what do you do? You go out and hire Kim Bjorkgren, who is a Swedish manager who has managed multiple UEFA Champions League clubs and when you're playing in the Champions League right that's a whole nother level right that European level of football at the highest level that's what you want and so you go and get him and you add him to racing Louisville right 
already with you know you just traded for J-Mac you've got all these new pieces coming in it's only going to help attract international stars as well into that team into that outfit and so racing Louisville is actually in a really good spot with the talent that they've been able to put together very quietly they're flying under the radar right now but racing Louisville Kim Bjorkren has his work cut out for him going into year one Kansas City Current. I love the new name, by the way. That's a new story that we also got to talk about, but that's one of the cooler names. Uh, Kansas City Current. It's new. It's unique. Had never heard of it prior to this, and it apparently fits in with Kansas City. So, I, so it's great work from from Kansas City's team there to come up with that team name. Um, Hugh Williams again was the coach. But he's going into more of a front office role as per what he said at the NWSL draft. And there is no replacement yet. So very interesting to see who Kansas City's new coach is going to be. So when you look at that tally, one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine out of the 12 teams had new coaches or something or the other happened. Nine out of the 12 teams. That is unheard of unheard of unreal unreal nine of the 12 teams so angel city fc gets freya coom from gotham nice hire the san diego wave fc get casey stoney who was previously at manchester united so you have casey stoney as head coach and then you have jill ellis as the president running the operation so san diego i think is an interesting uh they're going to be interesting along with angel city fc but san diego being in the smaller market i think have a little have a couple more challenges to navigate and i think they're going to be in a better position to navigate them because of Casey Stoney and Jill Ellis. Of course, lastly, the only guy uh, who, from the original teams who stayed was James Clarkson in, in Houston. Uh, so, you know, that's the only situation where we didn't have a coach move, which was pretty surprising. But yeah, I mean, good for Houston. They're still building, still doing well, and um, looking to finally get that first playoff appearance, but they can't quite do it. So... You know, Houston will get there eventually. I think Clarkson is their man. We just got to give it another year. Give it another year. But anyway, we keep it moving. We keep moving along with the rest of the NWSL news from 2021. All of the major stuff. Of course, we'd be remiss to not give uh, credit to the Washington spirit um, and this young core of players that they have between, you know, Ashley Sanchez and, and Trinity Rodman and Andy Sullivan and and all of those players to go with the Emily Sonnets and the Kelly O'Hara's of the world. They had this perfect blend of youth and experience uh, that really kind of carried them over the line. Um, Aubrey Bledsoe, of course, to me is the best keeper in the league, and, and she was finally awarded that this year as the, as the best goalkeeper. So you look at what Washington had um, in terms of a team, very very solid in all areas. Tori Huster, the longtime veteran, doesn't get enough, you know, doesn't get enough love or respect either. So this Washington Spirit team had a lot of great talent to work around and it was a great thing to watch the run that they went on. They were so determined, so determined. And what's even more impressive is seeing Trinity Rodman's competitive desire and and fight because in the second half of that final you know they were trailing it wasn't 
like Chicago was doing exactly what they needed to do. They were making it ugly. They were defending. They seemed like they were ready to see this through and it was going to be a one nil end. But Trinity Rodman refused. Like she literally refused. She's like, no, no, no. I am not letting that happen. And every single time she got the ball, she's like, I'm going to take this and I'm going to score. I'm going to create something for my teammates extra effort, hustling, sprinting to every ball. That was what impressed me the most. It's not just the skill. It's the competitive desire to want to be great. And you could see that. And that's exactly what happened. They became great. And they achieved something, you know, getting that first title. That's huge for the spirit. Huge. And it's going to be critical that they hold on to the services of Trinity Rodman because everyone's going to come calling pretty soon. If he does this for another year, yeah, you can expect every big club to come calling for Trinity Rodman because she's doing things that no 19-year-old has ever done. Plain and simple. So the Washington Spirit, congratulations on an incredible year. Um, the 2021 champions are going to have a lot to defend next year, so it's going to be going to be a fun one. Of course, how can we not pay homage to one of the all-time greats, Carly Lloyd, had her farewell tour, had some incredible games in her, even in her last couple games, she was always looking to squeeze every last drop out of it, looking to score every goal that she could possibly score. Uh, but when you talk about one of the all-time greats in, in U.S. women's soccer history, you cannot leave Carly Lloyd out of that conversation. Um, and again, the thing that has always stood out about her is her work ethic and her, her willingness to always get better, no matter the situation. And her self-belief, her self-belief is just on another level. When everyone doubts her, when everyone says she can't do it, she's like, I'm, I, she always kept working, always kept grinding, always kept getting better, finding a new way, finding another level. And so she's truly an inspiration because she's one of those players who is not, you know, I would say she was an outsider in a sense. Yes, she was a star at Rutgers, but she always had to work for what she got. She always had to work her way back into the national team. She was never in any of the coaches' good graces all at all times. She was never a staple of the team. She, I mean, she was a staple of the team, but there was never a guarantee you know, at certain points in her career, whether she was actually going to get picked or not, which seems unthinkable with the amount of goals and everything else that she's done. So, you know, it was an incredible career, Carly. Thank you for inspiring us and for continuing to, you know, give everything that you could possibly give to the game. You truly did. And and we were able to see that and appreciate it. And so as you know, now that you're gone, we will appreciate you even even more from the game. And something tells me you're not going to want to stay away either. You're going to get, she's going to get into coaching or do something. There's no way she's just going to stop playing uh, soccer or stop being a part of the game. I'm sure there were talks about starting a family and things like that, but um, expect Carly Lloyd to be back involved in some way with soccer over the next couple of years. She's not just fading off into the sunset. I can guarantee you that. All right. Last bit of news before we get into the draft and the expansion draft, I think you know, Christy Mewis was an interesting situation because you're talking 
her going to Gotham after initially going to San Diego in the expansion draft, but I don't think either is going to matter because she's probably going to Europe, which we will get into later. But you have Christy Mewis getting shuffled around. You have J-Mac going to Louisville. There were all types of of wild trades and all types of players being shuffled around. Um, it's almost too much to keep track of. So <laughs> it, it's way too much. But again, this is the type of stuff that uh, is, is part of the sport, part of the game, and we need as much of it as we possibly can. Uh, so again, more than happy to to you know break down trades and all that good stuff. But those are two of the two of the major ones that went down, uh, among some others. But I'm sure, again, if if you've been keeping up the same way we've been keeping up, it, there's almost too much to go over. So what we're going to do instead is get into our very special interview with Jenna Nyswanger of Florida State University, just coming off the national championship win. Here's the interview, guys. Enjoy. Jenna, thank you so much for joining us. Uh, how are you feeling after this national championship win with, with your team? Um, ending the last season, how we did, it was just great to finish the final with a win. Uh, we worked so hard last season and we were so focused on getting towards the final. It just feels so rewarding to end it with a win. And, um, the feeling of winning is like really hard to put into words, but when Yuji made her PK for us to win the game, it was just like an instant rush of relief just came over my head. And then, um, it was just quickly like filled up with happiness. It was just such a great feeling. Yeah. And would you say like once that celebration ended, do you guys already start looking more toward next year or do you kind of just try to stay in the moment and appreciate this for what it is? Yeah. Um, the next week we, we just really like, um, celebrated together and it was a lot of fun. And, um, I think right now we're just focusing on resting and recovering and physically and mentally. But once spring season starts, we know that we have to put the past behind us and really focus on getting towards the final next season. So what would you say was your favorite moment this past year with your teammates? Um, I would definitely say winning the national championship. That's hard to beat with the team. There's a lot of little moments that um, I really enjoyed with the team, like locker room and practice is always like really fun. Winning the ACC was great, but I mean, the feeling of like winning the national championship, it's just so hard to beat and seeing my teammates emotions and like how happy they were knowing like how hard they worked all season. It's just, it was just such a great feeling. Um, there's just like pure joy in everyone's faces. It was just amazing to see. And a lot of people around the team, a lot of the media associated kind of your growth and your success. You were kind of an X factor for this Florida state team. And you did a lot of different things for the seven O's. So what did you do specifically last off season to really work on getting better defensively and making yourself a more well-rounded player? Um, to get better defensively, um, my assistant coach told me it's more about working harder than the other opponent when it came to second balls and um, putting the first layer of pressure in our press. So in the off season, I really just focused on getting my fitness up. And that was just a really important piece for me to get better at defensively. And so when did you know you wanted to play professionally and where does your overall mentality to improve come from? Um, 
when I was younger, I watched a lot of the Barclays Premier League. So I always was thinking, oh, like I want to go play in the Premier League with Man United. And then a few few years later, I went to watch LA Soul play and I realized women have their completely different own league. So I guess that was that marked when I wanted to be a women's professional soccer player. Um, but I would say I was around like maybe like 10 or 12 when it got really serious and it was really something that I wanted to pursue. I think my mentality to improve really just comes from my competitive side where I know everyone around me is getting improving. So I need to improve as well. And there's so many players professionally and collegiately that are better than me. So I'm going to have to um, try to like lessen the margin between us by continuing to improve. There's so much in soccer that you can improve on. So it's a lot about like continual growth. Absolutely. And you talked about the NWSL and, and wanting to go there, but you also just mentioned, you know, the Premier League and, and Manchester United. If that were opportunity were to ever come up where you could go play in England, would you do it? Um, yeah, I definitely want to um, look to play in Europe after college. It's always been like such a dream for me, but um if I could play in England, I would definitely be open to that. I think it would be a lot of fun to play for a team that I've supported for so long. So that would be really special. So now that, you know, you and your team have kind of been able to enjoy and really kind of, yeah, celebrate this win. When do you start looking forward to next year's season and specifically your senior season? Cause that's going to be a big year, obviously. Mm-hmm. Um, I would just say right when we get back into spring, a lot of the work we're doing is to help us for the next season. Um, we're going to focus a lot on getting more fit and getting stronger and um, improving ourselves individually. And that's looking towards next season. And um, not only like looking forward to my senior year, but to help me um, professionally as well. Okay. But as a team, like we know the work to make it to the national championship starts in the spring. All right, like back, like going back to back, it hasn't been done in quite some time. So I'm sure that's like a, a big, big goal for you guys, right? Yeah, we'll definitely be striving towards that. And so growing up for you, who was your kind of soccer idol? Or was there anyone you tried to model your game after? Um, growing up such a big Man United fan, Wayne Rooney was always my favorite player. I just loved him so much. Um, but I really enjoyed watching Eden Hazard play when he was at Chelsea. Um, I don't necessarily know if I modeled my game after anyone, but if I could play like anyone, I would want to play like Eden Hazard. It's just like, he's so quick with the ball and he's so fast. Um, like thinking wise that it was just, it was like really influential to me to watch him play. That's really cool. You know, I don't know many, you know, women's players who directly reference the Premier League. They always reference, you know, the U.S. women's national team players, but it's really yeah. refreshing to see, you know, you're into the Premier League. And Wayne Rooney's one of my favorites as well, big Man United fan. So I love to hear yeah. that. All right. Uh, last question for you. Uh, what is your advice to all the young girls out there looking to make it to the college level, but not just get there to, again, constantly improve and get better? Mm -hmm. Um, I would just reiterate what probably a lot of people say, but just the importance of hard work. You're not going to be gifted a scholarship um, or a chance to play at an amazing soccer school by luck. So um, 
a lot of your future success relies on what you're doing now. So in high school and middle school, I put a lot of extra time in, and I would definitely recommend that to people who want to play at top schools, um, I guess, or collegially at all or professionally. Um, you always need to keep working because there's always something that you can improve upon. So I think just to remember that, and there's so many different aspects of soccer, whether it's like psychologically, physically, or mentally. So just always keep working towards that and um, grow your game in like a lot of different ways. And it will be really helpful. Again, that was Jenna Nyswanger from Florida State. Again, the message there is very clear. Just keep working. Don't give up no matter what the situation is. We're all going to have a tendency to try to overthink, get in our own heads um, based on what just happened. But as long as you continue to press forward and keep working, um, you're going to get better. And I think Jenna Nyswanger is only going to continue to get better even after the leap that she made, you know, sophomore to junior year. I think she's going to go on another crazy run next year for Florida State, potentially be in the All-American conversation. You never know, right? Um, you never know how things will turn out. But I think expect big things from her and Florida State next year. Um, the chance to go back-to-back -back will not pass them, I'm sure. There's still plenty of talent left over there on that Seminoles roster for Marker Corian to work with. And unless, you know, Virginia... Uh, unless Virginia reloads, unless North Carolina, you know, reloads with talent, you know, Florida State looks like they might have an opportunity to be at the top of the ACC again next year. Now, as we talk about, you know, we're just talking about college, we have the best college players obviously entering the NWSL draft, which was very recently. We at GSN got the opportunity to enter, you know, the draft room and speak to some of these draft picks. And so we've got audio coming up for you, you know, in just a couple minutes. But first, we'll get into kind of each of the different picks and a little bit about some of these players. First and foremost, the number one overall pick, uh, Naomi Gurma out of Stanford, defender, well-deserved um, history for Stanford. You're talking about four straight years of number one picks. Crazy, absurd, absurd, right? So you're looking at Andy Sullivan, Tierna Davidson, Sophia Smith, and now Naomi Gurma, even though... What's very surprising is that we saw reports from Just Women's Sports. We saw some other reports that San Diego was going to take Jalen Howell first, you know, and it was almost a foregone conclusion. So for everyone to be changing their tune on the broadcast saying, oh, they could take Naomi, they could take Jalen. I was like, what? I was like, didn't, didn't, I thought this pick was a foregone conclusion already. What are we doing? You know, uh, you know, normally if this were any other situation, the reporters would get killed for, you know, being wrong in this case. Um, but again, you know, still, it's a. I, I really feel like if you're the wave, you should have taken Howell number one. I feel like that's arguably the most dominant number six we've seen in quite some time at the college level. And she just looks a head and shoulders above everyone that was there at the college level. So I felt like Howell was the clear number one pick for me. But Germa is also, I mean, an elite, elite defender and another, you know, women's national team player and figures to be a cornerstone down the line. So. You know, Naomi's an incredible player. She's going to be going in an incredible situation in San Diego. And we actually got the chance to, you know, speak with her on what it would be like to, you know, play in the league, but also to play with some of her former Stanford teammates. Enjoy. Hey, Naomi, congrats from Girls Soccer Network here. Um, 
Stanford's put so many pros in the league over the recent years. Um, how excited are you to be teaming up with your former Stanford teammate, Tegan McGrady, on that back line? Um, thank you. And yeah, I'm so excited. I came in as a freshman and Tegan, I played with Tegan for one year and I'm so excited to play with her again. She's an incredible outside back and a great leader as well. So I'm excited to learn from someone who already has experience in the league and someone who I'm already comfortable playing with. And one more follow-up. Have you been in touch with anyone else from Stanford in the league? Have you gotten any tips from anyone on what to expect? <laughs> yeah, I'm pretty I'm pretty close with a lot of the players who've left in recent years, and they're always good at reaching back out to us and just, like, preparing us, getting us ready to go, um, and just really, like, showing us what it's like to play at the highest level. Again, that was Naomi Gurma of Stanford, the number one overall pick headed to the San Diego Wave and very excited to see um, how her career is going to pan out and just how good she's going to be able to be right away as 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 probably a plug and play starter and then eventually, you know, within the national team within a couple of years. So again, a surefire, you know, star uh, for the Wave, number one. Next was, was Jalen Howell going to racing louisville and i think that is a huge get for them huge get for racing louisville to have you know essentially a a franchise player to to build around now yes you do have some stars and some veterans but howell to me jalen howell is the centerpiece um like to me she's the next juilliards in my opinion she might like she has that potential to be the next Juliards and I think even surpass Andy Sullivan as the new number six for us down the line when Julie steps away because Jalen Howell adds a little bit of that extra physical element to the game that you're going to need to do that dirty work as the number six not saying that Andy Sullivan does not do that not saying that at all I'm just saying based on Sullivan's injury history and what she's had to deal with um, and overcome, you know, her body might not hold up the same. It might, you know, anytime you go through an ACL tear or you go through such significant injuries, sometimes your body does not come back the same way. And so that's why I feel Jalen Howell has an opportunity to to be, you know, one of the best. And I think, again, she's already made her debut for the senior national team. And I think you can expect her to be making a couple more appearances within the near future because she is their new number six and it's a great fit there we got the chance to ask Jalen about how does she deal with um the pressure and the expectations of being the kind of player that she is so you've been one of the like highly touted players one of the more well-respected players in the women's game specifically at the college level so many expectations are going to be placed on you as you enter the league you've already played for the you know, women's national team at the senior level. What keeps you grounded? How do you handle the expectations? Yeah, I mean, I think, uh, you know, playing around great players and having great coaches, uh, it's always humbling. And I just try to learn and soak up everything that I can. You know, that's the biggest part is just continuing to to grow my game, you know, be, become a, a leader on and off the field. And, um, you know, I, that's just what I try to focus on. I think that's what grounds me is uh, – just continuing to learn and to grow because, um, you know, you can never um, stop learning and stop growing. Again, that was Jalen Howell of Florida State now going to Racing Louisville. And again, if you don't know who she is, get to know her because you're going to know by next year 
who she is and how good she is. All right. Just letting y'all know now. Get, educate yourselves. Get ready because Jalen Howell is coming to take the league by storm. Next, you had the Courage um, taking Emily Gray at number three. That was a great pick for them because they went with a two-for-one scenario. They could have taken Mia Fischel number three overall to be J-Mac's successor in that spot, and it would have been fine. But instead, they have a show a little bit more draft savvy. They go and get an attacking midfielder like Emily Gray, number three overall, who was rising up draft boards very quickly. Um, one of the more attacking players. And then you have players like Dabinia and Denise O'Sullivan, who are probably going to be away on international duties. So that pick made a ton of sense. And instead of taking Fischel at three, you get your other striker at six, Diana Ordonez, who, again, if you don't know who she is, man, one of the premier strikers in the country for three years, burst onto the scene as a freshman, and really since then has only just gotten better and better. And she did decide to, you know, come out of school early, forego her senior season. And so we got the chance to ask her about that. And here's what she had to say. Hi, Diana. Congratulations. Uh, Thank you. Yeah, you were one of the premier strikers in, in college for, for three straight years. How difficult of a decision was it for you to forego that senior season and take this next step to further your career? Yeah, um, it was really hard. It was uh, it took a long time for me to come to that decision. Um, and obviously, I would have loved to have been able to compete um, for a national championship with the amazing teammates that I had and the coaching staff and everything. But um, after, you know, a lot of prayer and everything and just talking with my family, it just seemed like um, the best opportunity for me to go right now. Again, you heard her talking about taking that opportunity to go right now. And I think this was the best opportunity for her because you're looking at yeah, a top 10 choice. She could have gone in the top five, possibly. And you don't necessarily know what's going to happen the following year with with COVID protocols and things like that. Like, what if they their senior season just got canceled or, or she got hurt or something else happens? It just made the most sense to go now. And so even though, you know, you miss it on that senior year at Virginia, I think um, the Courage are going to get an incredible player in Ordonez and she fits the system perfect to what they want to do and I think they're going to be able to get crosses and balls into the box for her to just smash in and that's exactly what she's there to do and it's a great pick for the courage now we did go over picks three and six I will jump back a little bit to go to pick number four uh, Savannah DeMello out of USC so if you're Louisville you're looking at you're getting Jalen Howell at two and Savannah DeMello at four I mean you want to talk about a home run to get two highly established collegiate midfielders, two players who have been so who have been revered for so long. Savannah DeMello is also one of the premier players at the college level at USC. I think, unfortunately, she dealt with an Achilles injury that almost ended her career, um, and it was it wasn't looking great. And that was one of the things that we were fortunate enough to be able to ask her about, and she got to tell us exactly how she's feeling being drafted and being in this position right now. Hey, Savannah, congratulations on being selected. Hi, thank you. So a couple of years ago when you guys were at USC and you suffered that very serious ACL injury and things weren't looking so great, how does it feel now to be here and all of the work, everything that you went through from then till now, Tell, you know, kind of talk us through how you're feeling. And how. Yeah, so I tore my Achilles back in April 2019, and 
honestly, when it happened, a lot of people told me it's like a really hard injury to come back from. Um, but I knew that this is what I wanted to do and be getting to the next level. The pro level is the level I wanted to get to. So I knew it's all about just the work I do off the field. I did all my recovery, right. Um, got my fitness back and it obviously took some time to get to the back to being the player I used to be, but I'm really happy where I'm at. And I'm just super excited to get to do that next journey with Louisville and continue my soccer journey. I mean, Hey man, the Achilles, that's not something to play with. That's, that's a very difficult injury, even more so than a knee because your Achilles is how you walk, let alone run. So, I mean, for her to be able to come back from that, um, prove a lot of people wrong and then get back to the level that she was once at to be picked number four overall. I mean, props to her, kudos to Savannah DeMello, and I'm just so excited. I am so excited to get to watch DeMello and Jalen Howell in the same midfield together, possibly. I mean, that that's incredibly exciting if you're Louisville, because as it is, you're playing such an exciting, attacking brand of football, and now you've got a little bit of uh, a solid core in the midfield that you kind of were missing as of last year. We know what they could do in attack, but now when you add what they have here um, in the middle of the field, Louisville is going to be a fun team to watch next year, man. I cannot state that enough. Cannot state that enough. One of the other big picks from the first round was Mia Fischel going to U.S. Uh, excuse me, going to the Orlando Pride. I think the big thing there was Amanda Cromwell being her college coach not too long ago, and now all of a sudden you get to pick your striker in the draft. It was kind of crazy how that worked out. I don't think that was something that anyone foresaw coming into this one, where Mia Official fell to the fifth spot, and you go get your striker now. I mean, there's no question about it. They already, they, you know, they already traded Alex Morgan away to San Diego, so now you have your new young striker for the future. Not only Mia Official, but you're looking at with Taylor. Korniak, and then you add, you have the old vets in, in Sydney, LaRue, and Marta. So, you know, Orlando's still going to be, I think, fun to watch an attack. I just thought it was interesting how Mia Fischer went fifth, and then we didn't, as the media, didn't get a chance to speak to her. Um, until Amanda Cromwell came, because obviously everyone was going to bombard her with, um, did you know your head coach, Amanda Cromwell, was going to take you? Your former head coach was going to take you at five. Was there any talks leading up to this draft? You do all the details we would have wanted. And naturally, um, the league in, in Orlando was very diligent about that. They're like, nope, we're not giving you anything. We're going to wait for Amanda to come out and then you can ask her. So that's kind of what happened. And uh, Amanda got to tell us absolutely. Yes, <laughs> it was just too hard not to not to take me official at five and so that is a steal for them uh, at, at that spot and they have their striker for the future okay so I would love to get into more of the NWSL draft and kind of some of the other great picks that I liked in the later rounds and things like that but if you really want to go check it out go to www.girlsoccernetwork.com and check out the notable moves article okay that I put up there 
that's where you can get all the latest and greatest on kind of just more information, in-depth information on some of these players. Because I would love to just go on forever, but we do not have two hours, unfortunately, to talk about all of this stuff. So what I'm going to do is direct you to www.girlssoccernetwork.com. All right, as we tie a bow on the NWSL draft, we get to the NWSL expansion draft that happened right before it. Of course, San Diego and Angel City FC as new teams get the opportunity to try and fill out their rosters. And uh, I think, you know, both players did well. They picked very well. Um, You're looking at Angel City FC getting four really solid NWSL starters, essentially. And and Claire Claire Esmiel, the Scottish international who um, did well in Orlando in spurts, but just hasn't gotten the the playing time to really show what she can do. Danny Weatherholt, uh, also formerly from Orlando, now with the rain coming over from coming over to LA, solid midfielder. Paige Nielsen, just coming off a championship win uh, with the Spirit as one of their center backs, and so. So, you know, this is another good get for Angel City. You get uh, a defender from a, a championship winning team. And then, of course, Jasmine Spencer, who has shown that time and time again that she can produce at this level. Again, she's got to have the opportunity to do it um, and really get and really stick the ball in the back of the net when she gets the starts. That's really the big thing. If she gets the opportunities, she can show what she can do, and she's done it consistently over and over again. So, again, another good move for Angel City to go get um, a solid veteran like her into the team. As for San Diego, so you pick Christy Mewis, but then give away her rights to Gotham. You pass on two picks, and that was what just shocked me. I, I fully understand, you know, you want to go younger, you want to build through the draft, you have a ton of picks, but to pass on quality players that are there and ready and you know what you're going to get right away um, to kind of balance out the roster, uh, that it really just made more sense. So you get a really good defender in Kaylee Real, and you get another really solid, versatile defender slash midfielder in Krista McNabb. So you have two good players that you bring in why not take a chance on on two more how are you going to pass on two picks it just seems like you like you're being given something for free and you're not going to take it it's it sounds crazy to me that they did this but um look they they drafted well and we're gonna see what again we talked about earlier what the vision of what jill ellis and casey stoney is going to be and if they can get that to translate as a new franchise, then they're going to be able to have some success right away um, with based on the talent that they were able to bring together. So, you know, it's going to be fun to see how these new expansion teams try and join in with the league. How competitive are they going to be in this new 12-team format? It's it's just really exciting, man. It's, it's really, really exciting. Okay, time to tie a bow on everything. Before we go, we'd be remiss to kind of leave things a, a little lighthearted. Um, we, we mentioned last time the Christy Mewis and, and Sam Kerr romance that has been blossoming before our very eyes, and it's great to see. Um, it, it continued uh, most recently. You know, Sam Kerr had one of the best performances of her career and one of the biggest games of her career in the FA Cup final, um, including a beautiful chip finish. And guess what she said? Uh, she was like, I only performed that way because Christy was there. And if she's there, of course I'm going to put on a show. So that was 
is something that was really, uh, really cute and awesome to get to see kind of where the relationship is at. And speaking of which, we talked about earlier, you know, Christine Mewis, what's her deal? Well, yeah, I mean, she could end up at Gotham eventually, but don't expect to see her in the NWSL anytime soon. I think Europe is calling. The rumors have been Tottenham. Tottenham's in London, where Chelsea also plays. So, you know, yes, they will be separated by, you know, the underground, as it's called, over in London. But... Um, they will be together in the same city. So that's really, I think, the only focus that's on, you know, Christie's mind right now because they both are at such stages in, the, in their career where, you know, they can do what they want in some sense. And so Christie has finally become established enough of a star to where she can say, hey, I'm going to Europe, let's go. And here we are. So that's going to be a fun romance to keep an eye on uh, going into next year. But... We have finally reached the end of episode 45, the year-end in review of 2021. Thank you so, so much for tuning in. I am your host, Rotas Wadera. And again, for all the latest and greatest news, analysis, lifestyle, go to www.girlssoccernetwork.com, Girls Soccer Network on Instagram, and Girls Soccer Net on Twitter. And of course, search for this podcast, the Give and Go podcast, on Stitcher, iHeartRadio, Spotify, iTunes. We're almost everywhere, guys. So be sure to download this. I wish you guys a happy holidays and a happy new year. Love y'all. Peace.